0: Welcome to Unraveling the Anthropocene, Race, Environment, and Pandemic, a podcast series brought to you by the Liberal Arts Collective, or LAC, at the Pennsylvania State University. As an interdisciplinary group, we promote visionary scholarship in the humanities, we build community across different fields of study, and we highlight the ways that different disciplines inform and shape one another. You can find more information about our previous events on our website, sites.psu.edu backslash liberal arts collective. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic this year, we have developed this podcast series as an intervention into our global ecological emergency. In our discussions with scholars, activists, artists, and community members, we address how global ecological crises both impact and are impacted by political turmoil, Widespread outbreaks of infectious disease and racial violence.
1: Welcome to another episode of Unraveling the Anthropocene Race, Environment, and Pandemic. Today, I am recording something a little special and different from the other things that we have recorded in the past. Rather than interviewing an academic, I am recording one of these personal impressions episodes that we have planned for a while because we wanted to know how people are facing the triple threat, the triple crisis that has been the pandemic, the racial conflict that is affecting the globe and also the environmental conflicts that are affecting both humans and nature. And so today I am going to be interviewing Pablo Valenzuela who is both an English teacher in Santiago de Chile and also worked up until the beginning of the pandemic as a drag queen.
2: My name is Pablo Valenzuela. I was born and raised in Santiago de Chile. I am an English teacher. I've been in dedicated entirely to working high school for the past six years, I would say. Before that, I did some different things like at universities or like study centers, but like, I I would say six or seven years ago, I decided that I wanted to do just school and work with teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been doing. I'm also a drag queen. Um, You mentioned that in your introduction. I've been doing drag for, um, I think, three years already. And that's one of the things that I've stopped doing because of the pandemic. Yeah. So you said up until the, the beginning of the pandemic, he was working as a drag queen. Well, then with quarantine and, and, and the measures uh, put forward by the governments in order to protect us from the pandemic, we've not been able to to work. Right. Like as we work in in closed spaces, in clubs, at bars, and there, there aren't uh, enough spaces nowadays for for us to go and, and work.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And um, so when you say that you're a high school teacher, I think that's something that most people who have gone through high school can somewhat understand to a degree, right? We know what teachers do, uh, more or less the schedule, but uh, perhaps that side of the drag queen work seems more obscure for most of the population. So uh, would you be able to take us back in time a bit and let us, or tell us, how do you work? What is the, the work? of being a drag queen in Santiago de Chile?
2: Okay, so I can only speak for myself and okay, I know good. that there are a bunch of queens that will could feel identified, uh, but you know like drag is such a diverse arena, I would say that there's so many things you can do. Like there's people who who do like editorial drag. Like my boyfriend is actually one of those queens. He's like a very editorial. So he's focusing is more on fashion and doing like photographs and working as a model, right? Um, there are some other people who do like stand-up comedy. So their job is to go to like, a, I don't know, like a bar, I would say, and make people laugh, right? Um, what I used to do was uh, like the nightlife. I would be the hostess at at a party or I would perform on stage like a number or two a night uh, during the weekends. I was working stable at a very massive gate party uh, here in Santiago so I had like every Saturday I was booked for that party and then as I was doing that other parties started calling me as well so during summertime which is when we teachers don't work right because we're on holidays we have like a month and a half two months of vacation I was doing drag like three nights a week in different clubs in Santiago like hosting parties and and performing there like kind of go-go-ish sometimes not always like a a proper show
1: got it so very busy and on top of having to meet with a lot of people because you are going to parties and navigating the nightlife i'm imagining that for preparation you also have a team, right, that you are in contact with. So I'm trying to imagine all the things that cannot be done that relate to the the work, right? It's it's not just the parties.
2: Yeah, well it's um yeah it is a little bit like that. I mean like if you're a RuPaul kind of queen, you of course you have like a huge team of people like an entourage coming behind you like doing your hair and your makeup and your costumes. Right. Like I am not a Rue girl, so I don't really have that entourage behind me. But um, I do my own makeup. I do my own hair. Um, But I did work with a person who was like create like I used to design my costumes and he would like materialize them. Right. Like a costume designer. And with the beginning of the pandemic, he left Santiago and he went to the south of the country because, you know, like we were in lockdown. We couldn't go out on the street and he wanted to be somewhere nicer than Santiago. So then we stopped. And for many, many months, I didn't have anything to wear. So that is like like a very concrete example of how uh, the pandemic has affected. It's not only that the clubs are closed, it's also that people haven't gotten access to uh, the materials that they need for their jobs, right? So for example, this guy, um, he he did the sewing for us. And with everything closed, there was no fabric, right? Or all of the stores were closed and we could only get our makeup uh, through the internet, but with uh, frontiers closed, uh, whatever you purchased online would take like three months to get here. So that was also something that nobody was expecting, nobody considered. So like, well, I, I, I ran out of foundation. I'm, I'm sorry, honey. nothing to do. There's no fine foundation around.
1: Yeah. And, uh, Oof! So that means also the dissolution of these teams and collaborations for for a whole community. And I'm imagining that for the people who are of part of those entourages, right, <laughs> or that help with sewing or that assist with wigs, not having the show means also not having work in preparation, right? right? So it's a whole community that kind of is is dissolved and struggles. Right, right,
2: because like those people work for us somehow. I I would say like they work with us. um, And if we don't get to work, we don't need the clothes. So they don't get to work either. Or we don't work. We don't get paid. We don't have money. How are we going to pay for his work doing the costumes, right? right? So it does affect more than just one person. Like there's a whole team. And like for the people holding the nightlife, like they've had a very hard time. right? like We all know, and I think we all agree that going back to clubs is definitely not a priority by any means, but what do we do so that they can survive, so that they can make a living, right? In in particular, the people that I was working with, they've been doing parties for 12 years. So that's what they do. Right now, without being allowed to, to, to have a party, what are they supposed to do? So they had to close because of that. And then all of the waiters and waitresses couldn't go to work and, and the janitors didn't have a job and us performers didn't have a job either. So it's, and then the people working with us and it's like a circle.
1: So we dialed it back, right? And let's get closer to the pandemic then. the The news are starting to talk about the pandemic somewhere in Asia, you're learning about international businesses having difficulties shipping and you're in Chile and the pandemic is approaching. When did you first learn about the pandemic? How did you react? What did you anticipate? How did you imagine that this was going to change your life, both as a teacher and as a drag queen?
2: What I can say is I didn't see it. Like there was nothing I thought about how this was going to affect us or changes, because it was very sudden. Like I remember hearing about the pandemic, I think, like in early November, like something happening in China, um, not really understanding what it was. It wasn't considered a pandemic at the moment. It had the potential to be a pandemic. So I just didn't pay attention. Like nobody was talking about that here. It wasn't an issue for any of us. And then, well, the thing started growing, right, and, and and the virus spread, and it got to to more countries. And then I remember it was the end of February, and it was a whole thing. Like Europe was um, going through a very difficult time. Like a lot of people were dying, and we were like, "So, how is it that we're just going about life normally, right? Like, why are people still coming into the country or leaving the country?" Um, but it didn't seem real. That's that's the thing. Um, and then I remember the second week of March, it all started, like it exploded. And then it was it was very hard to grasp and very difficult to adjust to to all of this. Because like I remember, I worked that weekend on Friday and Saturday at different clubs. And I remember that Friday, I, like everything was normal. But then on Saturday, we started thinking, okay, so well maybe there is a pandemic, like maybe it is actually here. Um, Maybe the fact that the government aren't doing anything doesn't really mean that we're safe. And we should have known that it's the government of the country, right? This is Chile. But we did go through with everything which was planned for Saturday night. So we like the party happened, I was there, Um, but it was so different. It was so different from Friday, which was just 24 hours before, like people were talking about the virus. People didn't want to say hi very close. Uh, People were checking their temperatures, they themselves, out of their own initiative. And so that was Saturday. And then Sunday night, so this was all in one weekend, right? And then Sunday night, uh, we hear it on the news. School is officially canceled. People have to go um, on lockdown. Nobody's going out of the streets anymore. Nobody's going to work anymore. The children were not gonna go to school anymore. And everything just came to a halt, right? Like it just stopped. And it was very surreal. Very, very surreal. Cause to me at least, like I, I was very strict with everything we, what we were supposed to do. So like, I wouldn't leave my house. Um, I, I did like a very strict quarantine for six and a half months. And I would only leave the house like every two weeks to go to the supermarket or if I had a doctor's appointment that I couldn't miss. But I was in the house all the time, 24-7. I was living with my best friend and his boyfriend. So it was three gay boys inside a, a tiny apartment. That's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very surreal. Like we, I went from working three nights a week and partying other two nights a week. So like being out five nights a week and to being at home
1: 24-7. So your your week life then was being in a room for what, nine hours a day, eight hours a day with, I don't know, 30 something kids, right? Students. And then at night being in a club with like a hundred people or hundreds of people.
2: and Yeah, like 800 people.
1: Right. So on Friday, then all of that stops and you don't see almost anyone then for the next six months, right? And um, if you don't mind my curiosity, could you tell me what was your last show before the pandemic? That Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what was your last performance? Did you think it was going to be your last performance at all? How do you remember that?
2: No, not at all. Like the I was just like doing the go-go thing Friday and, and Saturday, so I didn't really put on any performances. So it was just like okay, I'm just gonna wear something nice. Like this party's like a pop party, so I'm gonna do pop girl kind of look. And I'm gonna be hosting there and being all nice and friendly. And then if, yeah, I lip synced um, twice that night uh, on Friday. But it was like, yeah, just look. So Deepa has a new song, just play that, whatever. Right? Like it was like very like on the spot. And then Saturday there were there was no show, so it was just me dancing there on like on the stage or even like the stairs, whatever. So it was like a very free thing. Um, but of, like, had I known it was gonna be the last weekend, like believe me, I would have gone all out. Like I I think I wore something I had already worn. Like I didn't do a special wig for the day. Like, we didn't know if it was going to happen. Uh, there were fewer people at the club. Um, so no, no, no. It, it hit me then. Like, we really didn't know. And of course, I am to blame for that. But I'm sort of an educated person, and I consider myself to be somewhat informed about stuff. So I think it was, that's why it was so surreal. So. How come I didn't know anything? How come like nobody was telling this, telling us about this, right? So the weekend was very crazy. I told you like Friday was normal, everybody was out, everything was open. Saturday like fewer people showed up because we started hearing about this during the day, um, and then Sunday everything just closed, and it all closed.
1: that there has been the loss of community at the bars or the clubs, right? Especially for, for the queer community. Um, I'm, I'm trying to piece it together. So my understanding is that the nightlife for the queer community um, tends to be really important because it's a place for people that don't really get to be out all the time in their life, right? Oftentimes, family is, is not very supportive or work environments are not entirely accepting, right? And so typically these more extra extracurricular, like uh, these these other moments are the moments that people get to be. And so I'm not asking you to be a spokesperson for the entire community, but I'm wondering how that has impacted the people around you that relied on that environment existing and that don't have it anymore. Are there ways that your community at least your your closer community is working around the restrictions.
2: Thank you for asking that because I really wanted to bring that up. Like it is when you're part of a minority, it's always gonna be worse for you. There's always like an extra something that's gonna bother you that's not gonna bother people who are a part of the mainstream if there is such a thing. Um because I am a teacher, right? and i'm a good teacher so i have a good job right and that's a privilege that a lot of people in my community don't have like a lot of people in my community didn't go to university so that's a totally different thing going through the pandemic with a job than without like to me i was lucky even when i was unlucky cuz let me just put this in like a time frame i was working at a school like for five or four or five years Doing very well. Then a social political crisis started in Chile, right? In October, there was an uprising. So we started going out in the streets, protesting, demonstrating against a lot of things. Um, The government became more authoritative. Uh, Police brutality was every day on the news. Like we were all victims of police brutality somehow, some way or another. Some people more seriously, some others less, but we were all victims of that. Um, And, of course, I was one of the people going out on the streets because, first of all, I'm a teacher, and second of all, I'm queer, and I'm a drag performer. So a lot of the social uh, demands and a lot of the things that were happening in this country or are still happening in this country were things that I could relate to quite closely. So, of course, I was out on the street. The thing is that this started on a Friday night. I was getting ready to go to, uh, uh, I had a show to do with two other queens. So this was October last year. This is not the pandemic. This is the social political crisis in Chile. I was getting ready, doing my makeup, and things started happening in the country. Right. So suddenly there was a stairway on fire, like in a I don't know 30-story building in the downtown area, and then like some subway station uh, stations in southern Santiago were on fire too. And we were like, what? The hell is going on, right? Right.
1: They shut down the airport. There was all kinds of. They
2: shut down the airport, right? So, again, I was clueless. So, I was talking to another queen and he's like, Is the show going? Like, have you talked to the people there? Are they opening tonight? Because I don't think we should go, right? It's not appropriate. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you be at a club when everybody in the country is just so angry, right? So, the show didn't happen. I I didn't finish my makeup, and the next morning, I was living um, in a place, like, two blocks away from uh, a gathering spot for protests. Um, So, the next morning, Saturday morning, my friend that I was living with and I went out, and we were part of the protest, and my picture came front cover in a virtual um, newspaper, right, like a news site. So that meant that my, my employers saw that and they were not happy about it. You know, the social political crisis here is a money thing, right? I, I worked at a very wealthy school and of course people in charge uh, at the school didn't agree with the social demands because they were part of the few people who had an excellent life. So for them, my going out on the street and demonstrating was somehow damaging to their image. Like they didn't want me to present this information to my students, right? What they didn't know is that my students already know because I saw them at the protests on Saturday. So they ended up firing me. So I started the pandemic unemployed, and I was just trying to balance it out between like some private lessons and my and my my work as my job as a drag queen. I was doing pretty well as a drag queen, working three nights a week. So I was having the time of my life, right? But then the pandemic started um thank god i was fired like really i'm really thankful that i got fired because that meant that i had a lot of money to receive right you know finiquitos. right right so the i don't think you have anything the, bank, the
1: bank, compensation bank. for when they fire you without notice without like a long notice they, they have to or like without a right. specific reason whatnot but there's there's a, a big payment basically that accrues over time and they give it to you when when they let you go yeah. right yeah
2: yeah. So I had that money. Right. So I went through the pandemic and I didn't have to worry about what I was going to eat because I had the money in my bank account. And that made it easier, like a lot easier, because, of course, when we realized that the thing was going to go on forever, we started saving money on whatever we could. Um, and then I was even luckier and I got a job whilst in pandemic. Right. So which is which was very uncommon. People were getting fired. so. I was a total opposite. I found a job during the pandemic, an excellent one. because I am a privileged person, right even though I'm part of a minority, I still have a lot of privileges. So for me, financially, the pandemic was not a crisis. but and that's also and that's why I started saying I'm a teacher, and these are the, the, the consequences of being whatever outspoken as a teacher. but As drag queens, you could never get the compensation if they fire you, because for one, you don't have a contract, so nobody can hire you. So drag queens were not receiving any compensation. Every single bar was closed. Every single club was closed. Um, It's people who don't have a daytime job, as I do, right? It's people who have made this their job. Like, or some of the girls, they teach uh, dancing classes in order to make a little more money and be a drag performer and also a a dance teacher and somehow make ends meet. But with the pandemic, there were no places where you could have a dancing lesson. Then some of the other girls were DJs. There were no places for them to DJ. So not having a daytime job became a very pressing issue. And I saw my community struggle, and I'm still seeing them struggle. So like, you would go to their Instagrams, and there was information about a raffle. Like, okay, um, I have this TV that I don't need more than I need my food. So I'm going to put this out, buy a ticket, and you can get the TV, right? Or like, asking people for money openly. There's nothing I can give you, but this is my bank account. Please support a queen. Help the community get through this. We need each other. Let's support one another. And that's how they're getting by. So you saw, like you can see nowadays in in Chile, something which is um, moving in a way. And it feels so wrong that one is moved by that because You can see, like, the ballroom scene of the late 80s in New York kind of come up to life here in Chile, 40 years later. And that's a moving thing, and that's beautiful to see as a a member of the community. We have people creating a house, moving in together with their trans sister or with uh, non-binary kids. So they're finding um, houses, empty houses, abandoned houses, and they're taking them and living there and and trying to support one another. And that's beautiful to see, but it it feels so wrong because nobody should have to go through that. I was lucky enough not to have to need anything like that, and I was lucky enough to be able to help and be a part of the solution for people in my community like them, right? But it hurts to see them go through that. because being, for example, being being queer is one thing, but being a trans woman is a totally different thing. So like as a queer kid, now that the bars are open, I could go there and work as a waiter. As a trans woman, that's not really an alternative you have. Right? So I, I've heard the girls say like, we had to go back into like selling ourselves, right? Like so- mm-hmm. they're, Sex they're, work. Yeah, they they started doing sex work, which is something that nobody really wants to do. Like, very few people really want to do that. Um, And it is a totally different thing if you're a white man who's doing straight pornography uh, and you do that as sex work than being a trans woman who doesn't really have any other options because it's difficult in the real, like, in the normal world. Now, it is extra difficult, like, four times more difficult because... There's no place where they could work. There's no place where they could even live, right? right. And that's why they're taking these empty houses and they're inviting other uh, people from the community to live with them. And they're asking us openly, can you help us with your money? There's nothing we can give back to you, but we need you. There's also people that I know like that during the pandemic had a lot of time with themselves And all of the processes, like their identity processes that they had been holding back for so many years just became very present during the pandemic, right? Like, it is widely known that the stress created by the pandemic caused a lot of mental health issues. But for people in the queer community, that can mean a totally different thing. So there's friends I have who came out as trans during the pandemic because the time alone really force them to face something that they had been trying to hide from for so many years. And then it's not only that you don't have the money for living, but now imagine going through this process, which requires you to do a shitload of things, right? Like first go to the doctor, then get tested a million blood tests. And then if you're lucky enough to to, to find a good doctor, that's not going to hate you for being who you are, then you can try and access getting treatment, like a hormone treatment and and, and transition into what you really really are and everything, which is a a part of this process. With the pandemic, it was difficult to go to the doctor. There was no money to pay for the doctor. If you did go to the doctor and he was nice, uh, well, how were you going to pay for the test? If you had the money to pay for the test, how are you going to pay for the treatment?
1: or even arrive at the place right because mobility is even restricted so existing in the world and moving around the city that is so restricted and moving around as a person who is just starting to come out must be horrifying i mean the stress i'm imagining it Sorry, sorry i don't want to interrupt you but i'm just like ah yeah go on (laughs) yes
2: the thing is like imagine like what it does psychologically to you like You've been this person whose identity has never kind of fit in and you don't look the way you are, consider yourself to be. I, I really don't know if I'm using the right language. I, I, I just hope I'm not disrespecting anybody. But imagine like if you've been like that, like I'm thinking about my friend, like she's 30 years old. Um, she just came to terms with, with her being transgender. And now she has to go out of the street looking the way she looks and not feeling comfortable with that because her body doesn't represent who she really is. And the fact that it's been a year of pandemic means that it's been a year that has felt like three because everything is a lot slower. So she's not getting the treatment because of course, people who have already started the treatment have priority and there aren't enough resources or pills or hormones or whatever for everybody. And that makes me think immediately about people living with HIV. Because I don't want to stigmatize anybody, so we know anybody can get it, but it is very present in in the gay community. Like the numbers are real, the statistics are real, more gay men live with HIV than straight men. And that was another issue too, because people who were getting their treatments from the government, like public health system, Stop receiving their pills like not all of them of course how come but, but a great number of people because there weren't any pills
1: so, so like there's, the there's half- just like no like physically the pills are not there in the country and right. and of course that's impacting this community much more
2: right because um for the, like what happened was that like during the first month nobody had absolutely any problem with that but the second month some places started giving out uh the pills for two or three months, and everybody started wondering why are they doing this. And they said, "Well, we need to make sure that you get the treatment because there aren't enough pills. So we don't know how long this is going to take. We don't know when the the medication will will get to the country. We don't know if it will get to the country because of the sanitary restrictions, um, and like border control, right? Um, so doctors started telling people, "I need to make sure that you're going to have your treatment for at least three more months." which is what this could take. Not everybody was lucky enough to go through that process. So some people just stopped receiving their treatment after the first month. And that's a life or a death situation. And it's something that, be, that became an issue. People started talking about it. It came up on the news and somehow they solved it, right? With the pressure of the people. And, and I just, I'm very thankful that the country has gotten to that point in which we're all concerned about that, right? Which wasn't the case, you know it, which wasn't the case ten years ago. Um, Of course,
1: yeah. I think it's, I mean, there's still a lot of stigma associated with being HIV positive in Chile, especially considering that it's a conservative Catholic country and that comes with a lot of judgment for specific things. But I I can agree with you that it's been something that's a bit more in the open and there's more willingness to to address the needs and the issues, right, um, publicly.
2: Yes, sorry, I was asking for a cigarette, sorry. Um, but yes, you're right, you're right. And and it makes me, and that's why I'm thankful because I, I think to myself, had this been a different time, like 10 years ago, nobody would have said anything about people not getting their medication, like HIV positive people not getting their medication. And I'm pretty sure 10 years ago, a lot of people in this country would have said, well, whatever, they die, right? Like, it's it's just one less person living with HIV right so you see like there's identity issues there's psychological issues then there's financial issues but then there's also like health issues and in the case of people with living uh people who are living with HIV it is a life or death situation so the pandemic has afe- affected the community in so many different ways and I'm absolutely sure that there's a million other things that I am not aware of because I told you I'm Privileged enough not to learn about those things going on.
1: Of course, I mean I can speak from from my perspective as a straight cisgender woman, right? Like I'm nowhere near um, these issues. They don't affect me, and so for me, it takes reaching out and actively educating myself. But otherwise, um, the information just doesn't reach you because it it doesn't impact you. Like it's not my body and my livelihood at risk. So. Really, the pandemic has impacted marginalized groups in, in ways that we need to be solidary with. We have to address those issues and and put them out in the open and pressure our governments to come through for those people because otherwise we intensify that marginalization by not caring and not circulating the, the issues, right? Um, yes.
2: Being a member of this community, like, we have somehow built a place that is safe for us, which is no longer accessible to us. Because straight people, they inhabit the world as if it was their own, uh, especially men. I don't want to be unfair to women. Of course, women, they cannot afford to do that. They're always exposed, right? right?
1: But, but, but generally, I, I think the social order and the social structure is built for heterosexual gender subjects.
2: Right. So you go out on the street and the world is built for you, but the world has always been a dangerous place for people who are not cisgender or who are not straight, right? Even if you're a cis, like in my case I'm a cis man, but I'm not straight and and it shows on the street and it shows on my manners and people see that and so it is not as safe a place as it is for a straight person, that's the like bottom line. So. We created, we built a community for ourselves. Of course, not everybody is friends with everybody, but there's, there are spaces where you go and you know nothing will happen to you. So now that those spaces are closed, we don't have a safe space because the street is not a safe space for us. So like when straight people were, like when the lockdown was lifted, right? And people went out on the street and everybody felt freer. Like people from my community did not really feel freer. Because that's not a space that we can easily and calmly and safely inhabit and transit. And I insist, I am a privileged person. So I live in an area where I can go on the street and I can hold my boyfriend's hand and most likely we will get stared at, but it is very unlikely that somebody will come and say something back to us. But if you live in a different part of the country or in a different different, um, area in Santiago, which is poorer, with less access to education, places that are less open to diversity, those people get shot, They, they get stabbed. They not only do they, sorry, not only do they get like yelled at, but they get physically attacked, right? So imagine being kept inside your house for six months and then being told, okay, you can go out on the street, but well, sorry, you can't. And That is something that a lot of people forget about because they don't have to learn about it. They don't have to hear about it. Yes, or the same, no, it's not the same way. I shouldn't say that, but very similar to the way a lot of women were affected by domestic violence while in quarantine. People from the sexual diversity also were affected by physical and psychological violence at home. Like what if you're a lesbian and, and, and your dad totally hates the fact that you're not with a guy and you have to put up with the guy 24 seven for six and a half months and it is not only hearing your dad talking trash about you or or mistreating you it's also that you're inside that space that is not safe for you that's violent to you and there's no way you can go out and be with the people that you decided were your family
1: right so it's not just sorry i was gonna say that it's not just putting your body out in the street that allows you to be yourself because the street isn't safe either. It's like, you just can't access that space of safety where you can have release because I'm imagining like the domestic space, if it's threatening, it's been threatening before and after the pandemic and that's a constant, right? But like what we had before or what you had before was that other space where you could have release and that space is not a physical geographical space, it's a community space and that's what's been dissolved.
2: Yes. So it is it is damaging in in, in a huge number of ways, right? Um mm-hmm. and there are so many other things, like not being able to I, I can only think like I'm a teacher. I teach teenagers. And I've told my friends all the because like most of like me, and my friends, most of us live in apartment buildings. So like i like some of them, some of my friends have complained a lot about like the children being too loud or whatever. And I tell them like you're stressed, you're bored, you're tired, and you're an adult. You can deal with that. And then I think about the teenagers, and I think they must have it even worse. Because go back to your teenagers. Like there are so many things that go through your mind. There are so many processes that you have to go through. And like being surrounded by people is, uh, is really like one of the most important things. Thank you. Uh, is for your um for for your building, your identity, right? Your character. Like we balance ourselves, we self-regulate through interaction with other people. There's like this Lacanian thing that happens with the gaze of the other, right? Like, so who am I? Who do I think I am? And then who do they think I am? They didn't have that. Like for a whole year, yeah. A fundamental part of the identity building process. And teenagers didn't have that for a year.
1: And you're only them. a teenager for like three years. So this is like a third of your, like three or four years. So, so it's it's like a third of the time that you're supposed to spend defining yourself. Oh. Yes.
2: And then just because I'm speaking for, uh, like for my community, imagine being trans and a teenager and in lockdown with a transphobic family. Imagine being gay or non-binary or anything which is non-conforming in a household that in this country, as conservative as it is, will most likely be violent to you and be non accepting of who you are. So those are also issues that were raised by the pandemic and those are issues that we don't have a solution for. So what the kids ended up doing, I mean, not most of them, like most of them probably had to put up with that and and they're going through the like consequences of of that right now, which must be very tough. But there were some other people who had to leave. And those are the spaces that I was telling you about we saw come to life, which is beautiful to see that there is such a, um such a sisterhood brotherhood whatever right um still there in the community but it is so sad and and, and angering and frustrating to see that we're still going through that and nobody is doing any campaigns to go get the trans women a house to live in see so those are issues that are invisible to us as cisgender people
1: To wrap it up i i was wondering if you had anything that you would like for people to know in terms of like are there any um website instagram accounts that you would recommend that our listeners follow or check out to both to learn more about what's going on in response to the pandemic and or to learn more about your work as a drag queen and and how you're Um, hoping
2: yeah um To be honest, I I mean, there's always websites that you could visit, um, like NGOs or whatever. Like there's tons of them, but you don't need me to tell you about them. You can Google that. Like NGO, Chile, whatever, you're gonna find it. What I can tell um, people is become involved. Be a part of it. Don't look away. Don't turn a blind eye. The fact that you're not going through this doesn't mean that nobody's going through this. People need you. Like, if you have 10 more dollars than your neighbor, you can be of help. So go to Instagram, go to TikTok, um, start following different people. So do not just follow the beautiful influencer. Do not just follow like, I don't know, like Kendall Jenner there. Go to the hashtag section and write LGBTQ, gay, uh, trans, um, drag, black, and yes, and, and, and go there and become a part of something that you could be partly the solution to, right? Um, they will tell you what they need. As I was just saying before, like the girls in our community, they blatantly out there said, we need your money, give it to us. So they're, they're not gonna be shy about their needs because it's their lives that are at risk. So my recommendation is get involved, be a part of it, don't look away no queen that i could refer you to right now is m- more important in any way than any of the of the queens that are living in your neighborhood or, or the neighborhood next to yours so be a part of your of your community that's a, the recommendation one more thing yeah. support your teachers not only support your local queens support the teachers yes. i am a teacher that a job we're doing our best um it is very demanding and it is, it's is—it's very taxing on us. Um, support the teachers.
1: Thank you so much for this conversation today, Pablo. I hope that things go well for everyone that is around you and for yourself and that um, the clubs are able to open soon and that you're able to go back on stage as soon as possible. Hopefully. All right, then. This has been Thank you. another episode of Unraveling the Anthropocene race, environment, and pandemic. Unraveling the Anthropocene, it's brought to you by the Liberal Arts Collective at Penn State. This series was made possible by sponsorships from the University Park Allocation Committee, the Department of Comparative Literature, the Department of Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese, the Rock Ethics Institute, the Humanities Institute, and the Center for Global Studies. We at LAC thank you for your support. This episode was produced by Camila Gutierrez. Be sure to subscribe and follow along wherever you get your podcasts, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Unraveling the Anthropocene project is getting bigger. During the spring and summer of 2021, we will be running a reading group to discuss the topics of race, Environment and pandemic. To join, visit our website or find Unraveling the Anthropocene on Goodreads.com.